Thank you, John and Christina and the team. And uh, hopefully, if you haven't, you will go to The Rock. Well, as you know, today is the last Sunday before Thanksgiving. And we kind of have a tradition at Hope Chapel that on the Sunday before Thanksgiving, we don't talk about Thanksgiving or thankfulness at all. We haven't done that in a long time. So we're going to do that today. And I'm going to start with an assumption. I'm going to start with an assumption that all of us gathered here today believe it's a good thing to be thankful. I think all of us, and I'm making this assumption, believe that it's a good thing for us to be people who are grateful, for us to be people who are thankful, to be people who express our thanks to others and to God. I mean, I, I've never heard a parent ever say to the kid, you know, if you, you hand a small child a piece of candy and you say, well, what do you say? And they say, thank you. I've never had a parent say, what are you doing? Don't teach my kid that. I don't want my kid to learn how to say thank you. I mean, have you ever had that happen? I mean, somewhere in the midst of all of that, there is a, a sense among all of us there's just a rightness about being thankful. Maybe some of it's rooted in our culture, just kind of grown up, and as we've institutionalized at least a day of Thanksgiving, there's a long historical journey that went with all of that. Some of you remember your classroom days when you learned about the very first Thanksgiving that Governor William Bradford called for in the Plymouth Bay Colony back in 1621. You know, the pilgrims had landed just at the beginning of the late fall the year before. They'd made their way through the first winter. A number of them had been ill. A number of them had died. It's been a rough journey, but through that spring and summer and fall, they had managed to get a stronger foothold, kind of get ready for the next winter, and as a part of that, they had been able to get their harvest in from all the fields and et cetera, and, and so Governor Bradford called for a, a day of thanksgiving and feasting, and they gathered together and, and had this big celebration, and, and that actually was something that continued kind of on an annual basis, and it spread out to some of the other colonies and settlements that were beginning to dot along the eastern coast of the United States. And it became a kind of an on and off again, but a fairly routine kind of experience. And, you know, it wasn't until 1863. So, I mean, that's, that's a long time afterwards, right? 240 years later that there actually was a national day of Thanksgiving. In 1863, in the midst of the Civil War, President Lincoln was, was encouraged by some people to declare a national day of Thanksgiving. And he did. And that was the first time that it was a nationwide experience. None of the states and others had begun to kind of pick up the tradition, but it was kind of haphazard and different from place to place. <clears throat> and it continued as a decreed annual holiday all the way from 1863 until 1941, when Congress passed legislation that was signed by the president that set the fourth day, the fourth Thursday in November as the day before the beginning of the Christmas shopping season. And, and so, uh, and actually the day of Thanksgiving, right? And, and, and kind of built into all of that is this idea that it's a good thing to be thankful. I'm going to expand my assumption out just a little bit and, that, and say that all of us would acknowledge to some degree that it's good, it's right, it's appropriate, it's healthy for us to be thankful to God. 
Not just to be thankful, but to be thankful to God. But what does it really mean to be thankful to God? And, and, and kind of is what we do with Thanksgiving kind of the same thing? And how does that all fit? And, you know, there, there are lots of different types of sermons that, that you can preach. And I remember in seminary they tried to get us to categorize them so we could have sermons that were what they called evangelistic. They were designed to present the offer of new life in Christ through the forgiveness of sins. That was evangelistic type sermons. Some of them were what they would call a doctrinal or teaching kind of sermons where you try to teach a truth. Maybe last week's sermon about the Lord's Supper, the fourfold look, would fall into that category. Some of them are what they call exhortation. You get a lot of those here, which is the idea of you try to present spiritual truth and you try to call people to a sense of commitment. And then they had a sense on the end that you would call devotional. And I would call this sermon none of those. All right? So... Um, what I would try to say to you is that I am going to try to plant a few thoughts in your mind to think about in relationship about what does it really mean to be thankful to God and kind of the place that it has in our journey. And, and I want to use Luke chapter 17 as our starting point to talk about thankfulness today. I mean, we've read a number of Psalms today. Enter his courts with thanksgiving in our hearts, right? And we read those with, with you know, so... <clears throat> so we acknowledge that it's good to be thankful as we come into God's presence. But what does that really mean? What does it look like? What are the, some of the challenges that go with it? Luke chapter 17, if you use one of our pew Bibles, which are right underneath the seat there, is page, this, you'll find our text on page 888. 888. And I'm going to look at just verses 11 through 19. So <coughs> what I'm going to do is I'm going to read the verses. I'm going to go back and kind of walk through the verses and add some detail to it so you get a little bit more of the sense of the context. And then from there, I'm going to try to offer some things that hopefully will make all of us think about how to be thankful so that we can enjoy the blessings or the gifts, if you will, that come from being thankful to God. Verse 11, Luke chapter 17, page 888. While traveling to Jerusalem, he passed between Samaria and Galilee. And he entered a village and ten men with serious skin diseases, many of your translation used the word leprosy, ten men with leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and they raised their voices saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And when he saw them, he told them, go and show yourselves to the priest. You might be wondering why. We'll get to that in a minute. And while they were going, they were healed. But one of them, seeing that he was healed, returned and with a loud voice gave glory to God. And he fell down at his feet, thanking him. And he was a Samaritan. And Jesus said, were there not ten cleansed? I mean, Jesus didn't fail math class, right? He remembers looking out at these guys and said, there's more than one down there. There's ten guys down there. He says, we're not ten cleansed. Where are the nine? Because ten minus one, that's nine. Where are the nine? Didn't any return to give glory to God except this foreigner? And he told him, get up. Go on your way. Your faith has made you well. So Luke tells us that Jesus is traveling south from Galilee to Jerusalem. Galilee is up in the northern part of, of modern-day Israel. It's around the Sea of Galilee. 
Jesus had been ministering down the southern portion of that, done some healing. Some of the, some of the um, commentators believe the chronology kind of lines up with the raising of Lazarus and some other stuff. But somewhere in the midst of there, he's traveling along the borderline, and he's getting ready to enter into a village. And there are ten guys who are standing a long way off who are yelling to him. The reason they are standing a long way off is because the law required that they stay at least 50 yards from any person who wasn't infected with leprosy. Now, leprosy came in lots of different shapes and sizes. For some, it was just like, you know, we might we may even use the word like psoriasis or other kinds of things that people get where their skin has got that kind of stuff. Other times it was really, I mean, that's bad enough, but sometimes it was really nasty where they would literally have growths that would form in the joints of their of their fingers and of their toes and sometimes their elbows and knees and, and wrists and and the growth would just get bigger and bigger, and sometimes literally the finger would just fall off. They would just, it would just push it apart so much it would just come off. And, and so they, they didn't have any cure for this, and, and so there was a requirement that they had to stay 50 yards, 150 feet from anybody who wasn't infected. So to give you an, an, an appreciation, the front of our building, when you look at it from the parking lot, is 180 feet. So essentially they could not get any closer than that to anybody who didn't have leprosy. So here are these 10 guys who are standing outside the village. They're seeing Jesus come. Somehow they got the, and, and they're saying, Master, have mercy on us. Now you can see kind of what happens here in the midst of the fact that human need has a kind of a tendency to break down barriers between people. We, we assume there's nine Jewish guys and there's one Samaritan. Now some of you have been around, hanging around church long enough to know that the Samaritans were they really weren't liked very much by the Jewish people. You know, if you go back to their history, after David and Solomon, the kingdoms had divided into a northern kingdom of Israel, southern kingdom of Judah. The northern kingdom of Israel had, was sent into exile by God in 921 B.C. And the, and the Babylonians, uh, sorry, the Assyrians moved in some others to take their place, and they intermingled with those who were still left in the land. And so they had Jewish half-breeds that lived in Samaria. And the Jews looked down at them. They, they just, they just, I mean, maybe some out of our cultural background would say when we looked at, at people who were half Native American and half Anglos, and they got looked down on. Same kind, they despised these people. They wouldn't have anything to do with them. If they were traveling from Galilee to go to Jerusalem, they would actually travel to the other side of the Jordan River, avoid going through Samaria, even though it was much shorter, and then come back across the river and rise up to Jerusalem from Jericho. And and here we see that there's nine Jews and a Samaritan who are hanging out together. And together they're crying out to Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And Jesus says, go show yourselves to the priest. Well, why? Well, believe it or not, one of the jobs of the priests in the ancient world, in the, in the time of, of Jesus, was he was like the spiritual health inspector. So, you know, it, it was like it, he was the one who who gave you certification that you were clean in order to be able to go and worship in the temple. So in order for these guys to be allowed to re-enter society, that they could actually get closer than 150 feet from anybody else who didn't have leprosy, they had to be certified by a priest that they were not, they did not have the disease anymore. So Jesus looks at them and he, and he asks them to take a step of faith. He says, Go and show yourselves to the priest. And even though they're not cleaned, they're not healed yet, they start going towards the priest. And while they're in midst, all ten of them are healed. 
right? One of the guys, the Samaritan, the surprise in the, in the event, one of the Samaritans, he, he, he turns around and he comes back to Jesus. And he throws himself at the feet of Jesus. He's, he's crying out in as loud a voice as he can muster, giving glory to God. And he, and, he, and he comes back and he expresses his thanks, his gratitude, his worship to Christ. What happened to the other nine? That's the question Jesus has, right? <laughs> I mean, first of all, they're from the covenant people. They're the Jewish guys, we think. Right? And they're on their way, and somehow or another, they don't get to turn around and come back to Jesus. They presumably move on to the priest. They're declared clean. They go home, re-engage with their families, get to hug their wife for the first time in who knows how long, able to play with their children for the first time in who knows how long, and, and et cetera, and and in the midst of all that, there's a celebration, they have a feast, all that kind of stuff, but they don't return to Jesus to give thanks. And Jesus, by, every stri- by just the honest with the text, it, he, he just marvels at it. And I, and I don't think he's like, I don't think he's like mad in the sense of saying, I can't believe it. Those ten guys, they better not ask me for any more miracles. I'm not giving them anything. You know, they're ungrateful. I don't think that's his attitude at all. I, I think he's looking at it and saying, these guys are missing out. The Samaritans' faith made him well. Not so sure that these guys' acts of faith to go to the priest is going to make them as well as the Samaritans. So I, I want to give you some things to think about related to thankfulness. Okay? These are maybe a bit random because I, I think sometimes we really struggle with the idea of what is it really mean to be thankful to God? I'm not sure I'm going to answer all those questions, but I want to give you a couple of things to think about in relationship to this. Now, here's my first point for you to reflect on through this week, maybe as you go forward, that real thankfulness to God, real biblical thankfulness to God somehow involves an interruption to your everyday life. Somehow or another, real thankfulness to God costs you something. Now think about this for a minute, right? Here here are these guys that have been separated from society for who knows how long. Maybe several months. Maybe several years. Maybe it's been closer to a decade. It's been a long time since they were able to have a face-to-face conversation with their families, right? They've been isolated. Set. I mean, they're, they're even hanging out with people that they despise, right? They're, they're hanging out with Samaritans, right? And so here they are. They're, they're healed. They're on their way, and they're healed. And you could, you could make a lot of case that it was really compelling for them just to keep on making their way to the priest, be certified clean so they could get home fast, fast as they can, Start loving on their family, ministering to their family's needs, all that kind of good stuff, right? I mean, you could make that kind of, of an argument. I mean, I remember when, when I went to Rwanda for the first time at the beginning of Good Rain. I went in 2010 on kind of a vision tour, and we went back and started Good Rain in 2011. And the first time I went, I went for five weeks. And I got to tell you, five weeks felt like forever towards the end. When, when, when we were done teaching and we still had three days in the country, I was like, why did I ever book the tickets this way? I should have finished sticking at, teaching at 4 and been on the plane at 8, you know, and gotten out of because I was ready to come home, you know. I, I, I cannot imagine a serviceman who's been deployed for 12 months 
when he gets back on base, he's finally cleared to go home, debrief, and get in his car, and he starts driving home, and he thinks, well, I'll stop and get the oil changed, and I'll get my tires rotated, and, you know, I could really put, use and pick up some new stocks. You, know, you, think he, you think he lallygags his way home? I mean, he's just, he's just he's, he's ready to go, but somehow in the midst of that journey, so you can could, you could imagine these guys thinking to themselves, at least I can, they're coming to it, and they get cleaned, and they see the one Samaritan peel off and start to head back, and they're thinking, but the reason he healed us is so that we could go home, so we should keep going to the priest, et cetera, and, you know, isn't it right to get home to my family as fast as I can and all that kind of stuff? And somewhere in the midst of all of that, the blessings become a competitor with a blessing, right? And, and, and in the midst of this, the only one who interrupts his journey of reconnecting with family and enjoying the blessing of family. The only one who interrupts that, the only one who, who pays the price of time to go back and reconnect with Jesus and express his worship is the Samaritan. And, and i got to tell you, I believe that, that real thankfulness somehow or another costs us something. It, it, it somehow involves interrupting our enjoyment of the blessings that God has given us so that we really focus on and give thanks to the blessing. And, and I think that's an important word for many of us here today to hear. Because I, I do think that, that this idea of turning away from our everyday journey and returning back to Christ and, and putting off and, and letting our thanks be more than just words is an important aspect for us when it comes to thankfulness. I mean, I think this dynamic of the blessing becoming a competitor with our relationship with the blessing is a dynamic that all of us struggle with. You know, I mean, I, I, there's lots of ways to, to journey with the Lord and that kind of stuff, but i got to tell you, over the years I've heard things like, you know, listen, what it takes for me to make enough money to serve my family means I have to work six days a week and Sunday's my only day off and I, I'm just not coming to church. I'm going to spend it with family. Or people say, well, you know what? We, we have extra needs right now, et cetera, or whatever. It just takes more. So I have a second job, so I just can't come to church. I can't be engaged in serving the Lord. I can't, you know, those kinds of things. We, we struggle with this dynamic all the time. I, I've got all this stuff going on in my life, so I just don't have time to be in a small group or to come to worship or to read the Bible on a regular basis. And we get into a place where the blessings are a competitor with the blesser, right? And somewhere in real biblical thankfulness, there's an aspect where we say, you know what, it'd be great to enjoy that blessing, but right now I just need to be focused on the blesser. And it costs us time, and it, it interrupts our journey. It, it, it bre- and we come back, and we focus on Christ. <clears throat> what that looks like, that's between you and the Lord. But I, I think there's an aspect where that, where being thankful is so important that we need to find a way to bring that peace in. Second element related to this. Second question. So the first one is, does thankfulness to God really change the way I enjoy the blessings that the blesser has given to me. Here's my second thought. True thanksgiving 
involves real worship. And I don't mean sitting in that chair and having a great worship team up here sing some song that's got you tapping your toe. You know, and you, I, that's, not, that's not what I mean. What, is it, what does this Samaritan do, right? He, he's on his way to the priest to be declared clean so he can go home and re-engage with his family, maybe pick up his business that's failing, all this kind of stuff. And he turns around and he comes back. And what does the scripture tell us? He's, he's giving loud glory to God, which means he's making a racket, right? I mean, he's loud. He's giving praise to God. And when he gets into the presence of Jesus, he falls on his face, which was an act of a subject before his king. It's, you know, when you came in to greet, you know, the monarch, you fell on your face in those days. And so as he comes in, he is, he's giving his complete submission, his complete subjection to Jesus. And, and real thanksgiving <coughs> involves worship. And so notice a couple things. First, that thanksgiving needs to be focused. The giving of thanks needs to be focused on God. Many of us will gather on Thursday, and you'll be like me. It'll, there'll be a serious temptation for me to be grateful, first and foremost, for the variety of pies that are lying on the dessert table. You, you know what I mean? You, you, you know, you, there's just... There'll be a serious temptation to be thankful for the, primarily for the people who are sitting around the table with me on that day. And maybe some people who aren't there, like my parents, but family and friends and others, and people who have been a, a great sense of blessing and encouragement to me over the years. And, and there certainly is an appropriate place to be grateful to them and grateful for them but that's not the same thing as directing our thanks to God. I don't need to lie out prostate before them in, admira- in, 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 in subjection. I need to be doing that before God. And there's an aspect in which real thanksgiving, if it's biblical thanksgiving, it is a thanksgiving that is rooted and directed towards God, and it is a part of an experience of submission. It's an act of worship. And, and it's more than just words. There are actions that go with it. There's a, his, his lying out on the ground before Jesus isn't just a, a one-time act. It is, it is a metaphor for the context of what his life will be like forward. It says, rise and go your way, for your faith has made you well. The faith is going to be the dominant factor that's going to govern his life as he goes forward. And it's in that context of really giving our thanks before God, we position ourselves to actually be people who follow God in our lives. And the list kind of goes on and on. You know, I think that one of the reasons we struggle to hear from God sometimes is because we don't really give thanks to God. You think out of the ten people who were healed, the only one who got a chance to get specific instruction from Christ was the one who went back in a spirit of thanks. The other ten guys, I mean, the other nine guys, they get to the priest, they declare, they, on they go. It was only this one who turned back to Jesus in an act of worship, expressed his thanks to him, got to hear Jesus say, rise and go. And it's, I think sometimes our struggle to hear from God 
is in the fact that we're not really grateful to God. And it's in that gratefulness, that, that act of worship, of positioning ourselves before the blesser, being grateful for the blessings that we actually put in our place where we, we can hear from God and listen to him. Got one more point, because I think after a while you get so many that's just too much to observe. Just, let me just give you one more thing to think about. So you got, you got this idea, first and foremost, that Thanksgiving somehow or another needs to stop us in our tracks, and we need to give it our full attention. We need to set aside the blessings a little bit and focus on the blesser. There's also an aspect in which it's, it's, it's not just lip service, but it's rooted in a whole approach to life that we would call worship, following after God. The last thing I'd say is this. It's not just about talking. It's also about listening. It's not just about talking. It's not just about yelling really loud, thank you, Jesus, thank you, Jesus, thank you, Jesus, which is probably what this guy was doing, and rightfully so. I mean, if you had been, injured, if you'd been separated from your family, had contracted an incurable disease, had no hope, and all of a sudden the gate to return to your real world was open, I mean, you'd be going nuts too, right? <coughs> Especially if you drink as much caffeine as I do. You'd really be going nuts, right? So, I mean, you get that kind of idea. But in the midst of all of that, there's a place to just stop, shut up, and hear Jesus say, rise and go. It's your faith that's made you well. That, that wonderful that wonderful moment, the moments that we need over and over again that says the way to do life in a, matter that, in a manner that really matters for eternity is to do it by faith. And to be able to slow down, set aside, and shut up and listen to God say your faith is what makes you well is a critical part of being thankful critical part of being thankful. So let me go back to my assumption. My assumption is all of us believe that being grateful, and more specifically being grateful before God, is, is, is critical, is valuable to us really living good lives, healthy lives. So the question for us is, is our thankfulness the type of thankfulness that allows us to experience the good life that comes from our faith in Christ? Does our thankfulness lead to a place where our faith has made us whole? Let's pray for just a minute. I'm just going to let you be quiet for just a moment. Think about your thankfulness to Jesus. God, we are grateful for the blessings we have in our lives. And we ask that you wouldn't let them stand in the way of being thankful to the blesser. You yourself, as we pray in Jesus' name, amen.